Hi, I'm Rob Langton. Our interview series delves into the lives of Australia's most respected property thought leaders and decision makers and uncovers what makes them tick. This is the interview. Our next guest this morning is Dr. Jerry Schwartz, co-founder of Schwartz Family Company. Jerry, thanks for your time this morning. It's a pleasure having you on the program. As we sit here this morning, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Take us through the impacts of the past 12 months and how have you responded as a business to these challenges? Well, it's certainly been a roller coaster of a ride. Um, it's just uh, now just on one year that we've been in this whole COVID period. And certainly with the hospitality industry, that's been uh, affected in a major way, not only with uh, obviously the business and income, but also uh, the way that the hospitality industry and the hotels have been helping the country to, um, uh, to attack the problem of COVID. It was reported in December that you had to allocate a significant proportion of funds during the course of 2020 to ensure that you remained in a stable position. Take me through the toll that this had on the business and yourself personally, and did you receive any support from the banks during this period? Well, certainly uh, prior to COVID and prior to the bushfires, which just preceded COVID, um, the uh, hotels was a very solid industry and I had very solid cash flow. And um, interestingly enough, at the beginning of last year, one of my projects was to do a major refurb of Mercury Sydney. Um, so I had accrued a lot of cash flow for that, you know, about $10 million, um, in addition to the fact that I had um, accepted the fact that with a refurb, the uh, occupancy would be a lot worse and therefore the income would be worse. Little did I know that the income would get even profoundly bad. Um, so um, I was well cashed up. An unfortunate consequence of the pandemic has been the decision to sell Sydney's four points by Sheraton for a speculated $180 million as a form of insurance policy should another lockdown occur here in Sydney. How important is it to deploy a deleveraging strategy during uncertain economic periods? I think it's important to show the, the banks um, that I am trying to act responsibly through this whole COVID period and just like them, not really sure how it's turning out, although fortunately in this country, it's very positive. And in addition to all the other um, concepts that we've done to, to lower the cost, to work with government, to uh, fill the rooms uh, with quarantine guests, or be it at a, at a lower income, um, and all the other strategies that, that we are doing to contain our costs, it's also important to realise that uh, there are issues, uh, covenants that the, the banks have, which is ICR and LVR, and that it's better to be proactive and to understand that, of course, during uncertain times, they want to lower the LVRs. So that really is the main reason um, that I've, I've thought it quite important to increase my equity and decrease the, the leverages whilst um, uh, there is still such demand um, for city CBD hotels. So, you know, as upsetting as it is to have to sell one of my hotels, I think it's, it's really important um, to, to, to make me strong and, and to maintain my strength in my other hotels to let one go. And speaking of demand, how are you finding occupancy rates across your portfolio at the moment? And how long do you think it'll take before it rebounds to pre-COVID levels? 
Oh, this is obviously the big discussion in the hotel industry. Um, what's been so interesting, of course, is that my weaker, in inverted commas, hotels, which are the leisure hotels, the ones which have not been earning me money, are the ones that are suddenly doing so well. And um, I've got two major regional leisure hotels, the, the Fairmont and Crown Plaza Hunter Valley, as well as my two more recent hotels in the Gold Coast. And, and of course, these are uh, performing so well, whilst those hotels, that is Sydney CBD, of which I have seven hotels, which were the strongest, um, uh, enjoying over 90% occupancy, they're the ones, other than the quarantine use, are the ones that are suffering so much. I want to talk about your family history now. Both your parents, Eve Schwartz and Dr Bella Schwartz, had a major influence throughout your life. Tell us about them and their significance on your own life. Well, we were a, a, a close family, um, so of course they being my parents, have had a big significance on me. Um, <clears throat> they were both migrants from Hungary and um, both came to this country, um, established themselves, obviously quite successfully. They, they instilled on me the, the need to, uh, to work hard uh, and to strive to get uh, results. And what are the most important lessons your parents taught you and how has that guided your decision-making and, and values over the course of your life so far? Well, as I said, they, um, they, they taught me to work hard and they, they taught me that things don't come to you. I suppose, interestingly enough, in some families, one talks about politics at the dinner table, other people talk about religion at the dinner table. Uh, we, we talked a lot about business and about investments, and I guess for me it was quite a natural thing to, to understand business and, and to be involved in the family business. And what were you like as a student growing up? Scholarly. Uh, my my favourite subject was maths, uh, which of course has been of great help. You know, I was pushed to, to go to do actuary and accounting. Um, as as it turned out, I suppose largely because of my um, father's medical background in dentistry, I went into the medical field. I, I guess also it's a bit like the tortoise and the hare. Because I was scholarly, I didn't do that much sport at, at school. Um, and I, I was more um, in, into the books and all that. Whilst eventually now I've found that whilst all my friends uh, have hip replacements and knee replacements because of their involvement in sport, it's, it's now myself that's uh, trying to keep fit with sport, doing triathlons and swimming and, and bike riding. You graduated from the University of Sydney in 1979 with a medical degree. Where did your interest in medicine originate from? My father was a dentist, so there was obviously the uh, in family involvement of medicine. I, I guess because he did dentistry and, you know, I, I saw how often went to his surgery and, and saw and sat in his chair as well. Um, my my um, interest was certainly not in dentistry, but they, they were sp uh, spruced in, in medical background. And I guess being academically uh, versed, uh, it was always instilled in me that you've got to go to university. So I guess one would have to pick one of the university uh, subjects and um, that one was closest to my father's one of dentistry. And following your graduation from university, you trained extensively, firstly in the public hospital system here in Australia and then later in the UK across a number of disciplines, including emergency medicine, surgery, ophthalmology and finally in laser surgery. Talk to me about this period of your life. 
one thing I love about medicine is the journey um, of specialties that you can go through. I was always interested in the surgical streams and I commenced my my training in surgery, uh, which then went into ophthalmology and then went into cosmetic surgery. In addition to that, my first marriage was to an Italian doctor. So I spent quite a bit of time in Italy. And Italy being very close to the United Kingdom, I did uh, go on uh, quite a few um, episodes of doing three months um, locum residencies in the UK. And I guess it was this um, that got me to, to, to be involved in the different specialties of medicine. And moving towards the origins of Schwartz Family Company, your father Bella started the business, first developing residential apartments before moving into shopping centres and then later into the hotel sector. Where did the family's interest in property originate from? He originally, uh, as a dentist earning money, invested in some terrace houses in um, King's Cross, which later became the the King's Cross Police Station. So I, I guess the family's origin of, of investments obviously started from him uh, investing his income from dentistry. Um, he characteristically did not follow the, uh, the, the common pathway that if, if something was popular that he invested in that. So when he built units originally, that was not a popular uh, investment class in Australia. Then he moved to shopping centres when it was not a, a popular investment class and he, and he sold out of them when they did become popular. When he uh, commenced in hotels, again, that was not a popular uh, um, investment class and therefore he, he purchased hotels at a good price and um, improved upon that. And following his passing in the year 2000, you and your mother Eve had a portfolio of three hotels before adding another two prior to her passing in 2005. Take us through the portfolio at this point in terms of where and what sort of assets you held. During my father's life, he um, had invested in hotels in Sydney and in Canberra. Um, once he died, um, my mother and I varied the investment strategy from shopping centres, which we also had then two hotels. And in fact, the first hotel that we bought together was Ibis World Square, just across the road from here. Uh, and this was actually our first involvement with Accor, which was a young company in Australia. Then we purchased another hotel in um, Sydney CBD. And uh, once she passed away, then I, I continued purchasing hotels uh, based on my cash flow, on the value of the current hotels that I had, and that also then uh, allowed me to increase my borrowings to purchase new hotels. And from that period to today, you've gone on somewhat of an acquisition spree, adding at least 10 assets to comprise a portfolio of some 15 hotels now. What has been your strategy for growth over the years? Largely to invest in hotels that had a lot of up, upside um, and by improving them their value went up and that then allowed me to borrow more money on them and then purchase other hotels which um, were reasonably well priced because they had a lot of upside. Um, and I, I think that that's been pretty much the strategy uh, until now. Of course, with the GFC, uh, 
being able to borrow money became much more difficult. And I think after this COVID period, again, the, the whole concept of, of borrowing money and, and having the ability to purchase hotels certainly will change. What are the fundamentals the business considers in terms of either site selection if you're developing a hotel or in terms of lease agreement if you're taking over a hotel or if a new management team's coming in? In general now, most hotels work on management agreements rather than lease agreements. Um, very, in fact, none of my hotels now are leased hotels, which is like you have a shop and you, you lease the shop. Now it's, it's about working with the management company to uh, not only improve the product, but also to maximise what you can get out of the product. So the, the fundamentals in, in purchasing a hotel and owning a hotel really encompasses, encompasses everything from being able to get the finance to buy the hotels, to work with the management company, to um, improve the, the, uh, the standing of the hotel, to improve um, the, um, how the hotel works, uh, the sales and marketing, the um, uh, technology, the, um, the finance in the hotel. So there's, there's a lot of things that um, would be encompassed in, in purchasing a hotel and then running it. In 2019, you acquired the Paradise Resort on the Gold Coast, which you mentioned earlier, for $43 million, as well as the Hilton Surface Paradise for $70 million. Take me through both of these acquisitions and how strongly do you see the Gold Coast market moving forward? You've obviously, you're obviously quite bullish on it, given the, the recent acquisitions. I suppose that story started by our family's purchase of a unit in the Gold Coast. I, I used to own a unit in Noosa, which... I had pretty much acquired so that I had a place to stay when the triathlon was on each year. And now, um, having acquired a family, I outgrew that uh, unit. And uh, we've also found also that the, the Gold Coast as a, a family destination has been absolutely fantastic and a lot of fun. So when the opportunity came uh, that a hotel and a good hotel with a lot of potential uh, was for sale uh, in in the Gold Coast. I, I grabbed uh, that opportunity, and uh, that I think was trumped again by the fact that such a unique hotel as Paradise Resort, which is really like a cruise ship on land for kids, in fact, probably better than a cruise ship on land for kids, um, became available. You did sort of touch on it earlier, but I just wanted to explore a little bit more. What are the fundamentals required in terms of actually operating a hotel? What is, what's involved in running efficiently and effectively a, a good hotel? I find that's part of the fun of, of having a hotel. There are so many factors involved. Um, there's so many different facets to, to be involved in, whether it is um, learning how the existing facilities are, improving on the existing facilities, uh, becoming part of um, modernising these facilities. And, and, you know, that is not only the hardware, which, which means um, the maintenance and, and the uh, capex um, uh, spend on uh, improving the bars and the rooms and the common area, but also adding all new facilities. Um, and, and it encompasses the things which are behind the scenes, which is how to run sustainable systems, how to improve your IT, 
um, how to how to work the systems, whether it be the financial systems or the sales and marketing systems, and, and working within other hotels in in the management companies group, or working with other hotels in your geographical location. In terms of positioning, which sector of the market has offered the most growth over the past five to ten years? Is it the economy, the business traveller, the luxury segment? What do you think? The, uh, as I alluded to beforehand, Sydney CBD has just become so strong and that is because Australia as a destination is very popular, um, Sydney is very popular, um, the, the, the um, previous lack of building new hotels in Sydney. Having reached an occupancy of 95%, it can't get any better. So something has to happen and something did happen um, that was called COVID. And um, as I mentioned beforehand, what COVID has done is suddenly um, dropped the demand for um, Sydney uh, CBD locations um, and predominantly for corporate use and all of a sudden increased uh, leisure destinations and regional leisure destinations. So in the last year, that has been the major change. But even prior to that, um, you could see that um, Australian uh, regional destinations have been becoming more prominent and, and you know, the cities have been saturated and uh, the, the region does, uh, does have so much to offer. In New South Wales, whether it be the mountains or whether it be the Hunter Valley, um, but in fact anywhere along the coast that um, uh, people are realising that were, were realising that you didn't need to travel overseas to have a good holiday. When now people are forced into not travelling overseas to have a good holiday. How big would the discrepancy be between some of your occupancy rates at regional hotels versus those in, say, city centres of Melbourne or Sydney? A huge difference. Uh, Newcastle, all the other regional hotels I mentioned um, on weekends and. Um, school holidays go up to almost 100%, uh, whilst at the same time, the city, Sydney D, uh, CBD hotels are down to 20%, with, with probably the exception of the Sofitel Darling Harbour, which is considered a, a staycation within our own city. What impact has Airbnb had on the accommodation industry and how has your business responded to shifting consumer preferences in that regard? There's always different variables that come on the scene. Originally, it will serve as departments, and um, the, the hotel industry has absorbed service departments. There is a definite need for them. Uh, just like Airbnb, it is an experiential uh, situation, particularly for families. Um, how the hotel industry has responded to it is to try and make it more regulated, because it, it's it's not fair both to the hotels and to the guests to have an unregulated environment. Um, so obviously, like any other variable, it's, it's got to be incorporated and, and we, we, we can't ignore that uh, Airbnb exists and we can't ignore that there is a, a role for Airbnb. One final one just on the hotel sector specifically. What role have advancements in technology had on the industry and what are some of the initiatives you've put in place across your portfolio recently? Oh, plenty of changes. I can probably divide that question into uh, sustainability and into IT. 
um, certainly in sustainability, um, I actually uh, employ a sustainability officer whose role is just to transition new concepts of sustainability. Uh, so we have solar panels in most hotels. We have a solar farm in, in the Hunter Valley. Um, we do all things necessary to uh, try and minimise the wastage of power, water, uh, cardboard and glass and things like that. So um, certainly sustainability is a, is a huge factor that we are um, uh, involved in. Uh, as far as the IT goes, uh, in the past that has been a facet that you needed to invest in but you didn't really see any return. Uh, now with COVID, um, that's changed it a little bit that um, uh, the uh, issue of having touchless uh, check-in um, and touchless key cards um, uh, has necessitated a, a speed up of, of the rollout of, of, of IT issues. Um, and there's a lot of other IT uh, things that, that have come like um, um, SMS messaging between the hotel staff and, and the guests, um, having a lot of things paperless, uh, uh, folios in the, in the rooms, increasing of um, the, the internet uh, availability to guests and the, the number of different devices that they use. So there's been a lot of increase in, in IT demand. Outside of property, Schwartz Family Company has a diversified interest in a number of sectors, including aviation with Blue Sky Airways, hospitality with the Sydney Brewery and sustainability via the World Green Council. Take us through each of these ventures and, and what they mean to you. Involvement in um, aeronautics and aeroplanes probably came about by the fact that I was too lazy to drive from here to the Hunter. Um, so I wanted to invest in seaplanes and, and um, opening that service up not only for myself to, to get to the Hunter region, but to, to our guests. Um, so uh, that's, that's the sideline that um, I'm certainly ambitious to uh, follow through. Um, I've um, established a brewery uh, probably 17 years ago and, and this uh, began by uh, the fact that I had a pub and we put a small brewery into the pub, uh, which obviously in this country did so well, um, plus the fact that I had a lot of distribution through my hotels. So the brewery kept growing and growing and uh, we relocated it and, and enlarged it in the Hunter Valley together with a botling plant. And that brought along all the corollaries, like um, now we're um, making um, apple uh, cider. Um, we're also um, cultivating grapes and growing wine. Um, the, the beer is a starting point for making whiskey, so now we make our own whiskey. And our latest project is bottling water, uh, Hunter Valley water in glass bottles to, to not only distribute throughout our hotels, but also to put onto the uh, onto the market. Now, you also have your own charitable organisation, the Schwartz Foundation, which was established in 2001. Why is philanthropy so important to you and what are some of the causes you dedicate your time and resources toward? Well, after my father died in 2000, uh, my mother and I thought, well, you know, we had a lot of money in the family. Let's just give a portion of it away. 
um, to so many causes that we see. Um, obviously, there's a lot of knocking on our doors. Um, you know, uh, are we able to uh, uh, give money and give goods in kind? Um, so we thought that probably it would be best to establish it in a formal way um, and, and set up this charity. Um, and that is in addition to, to the fact that within the hotel industry, there's always a lot of uh, requests for uh, accommodation for prizes and uh, for um, uh, charities, uh, for, uh, for prizes and for auctions, um, and also to for um, uh, and, and with the brewery to um, help support different functions. Now, my final question, and probably something that a lot of people don't know about you, but you still practice as a cosmetic surgeon at your medical centre in Sydney, the Aesthetic Surgery Centre. What keeps you practising as a doctor? That I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do limited uh, types of uh, cosmetic surgery, blepharoplasties, which are eyelid um, removal of eye bags and liposuction and I've been doing this for for decades and it would be such a shame to uh, give away uh, my knowledge um, and and stop doing it um, also too I, I find that the um, uh, the patients that I do operated are very grateful and it also gives me pleasure to be able to quickly make changes that improve their lives. Well, Jerry, you've lived an extraordinary life. Really appreciate you coming onto the program and sharing your insights. Look forward to seeing what's next and all the best for the year ahead.